You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. We're in John 20, starting in verse 19, going through verse 31. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors are being the doors were being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But there are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Okay, we are still in this series that I think has really proven to be quite a, a powerful and challenging series for a lot of us as we see these encounters uh, that different individuals are having with Jesus. Um, and ultimately, this isn't just about how Jesus responds to people or how Jesus might respond to us, but it really is also uh, hugely important to understand how how we are wired to respond, whether that's to Jesus and to truth or whether that's to something else or a circumstance or a situation, um, and, and what is going on around us when all of this kind of stuff happens, when we encounter uh, situations, circumstances, adversities, but also when we encounter the answer to those situations encounters and adversities, which is obviously Jesus, okay? And so we're going to continue that today, and we're talking about this guy, Thomas. Now, I, I alluded to you that Thomas sort of has a negative name, uh, Doubting Thomas. Um, I'm not going to try to erase that, because obviously he, he did doubt, but I'm going to try to move Thomas for you today a little bit, all right? Uh, it seems that we talk about different people in the Bible, and some of them can have done very awful things, and we kind of just name them by their name, and we talk about them, and we move on. Uh, but when it comes to Thomas, it's like, oh, doubting Thomas. It's as if that label stuck so deeply with him uh, and, and really the reference to him in this passage that Wade read to you is Thomas the twin. And what do you think about oftentimes when you think about twins? Oh, sweet twins, two of them, you know. But we think of Thomas and we've lost the very name or identity that he's given in the passage uh, to this sort of negative connotation of Thomas, all right? So uh, if you'll bear with me today, I want to try to 
parse this out and break it up a little bit uh, for you here. Um, the big difference between Thomas, I think, and the other apostles is that he wasn't there with Jesus when Jesus first appeared to all of them uh, that first time. So he didn't see Jesus at first, all right? Um, and when, when uh, he wasn't there, that obviously affected his view or his approach to things. He wasn't in the group, all right? Now, we don't know for certain, like, um, why Thomas wasn't there. Uh, some writers will tell you that Thomas wasn't there because Thomas was of a gloomy temperament, uh, meaning he was a bit Eeyore-ish, you know? Um, he, uh, <laughs> he had this, this sort of way of going off by himself, which would kind of explain why of all the disciples, he's the only one that wasn't there when they had gathered initially. Now, keep in mind, there's a lot that has happened here, and we're going to talk about sort of the context of this all uh, in just a, a few minutes here. Uh, but, but people with those sort of temperaments, uh, they, they tend to go off by themselves uh, when things get hard. And uh, maybe Thomas was like Eeyore, and he was off by himself. And maybe for Thomas, there's sort of a cloud over his head, and rain is falling on his heart all the time. I, I don't know. I'm going to try to move you away from that as well, okay? I'm, I'm going to try to not keep you there. Yet, I think there are some things to look at here uh, and, and, and to think about, all right? So if you're looking at Thomas, and, and, and you're looking at it in context, you're going to have to look at several places where we see Thomas so that you get to start like a picture in your mind um, that indeed he was a unique man and maybe he was prone to gloom and, and despair and those kinds of things. I don't think as much as some people are trying to make him out to be. Um, and, and I think he's, he's right in the sense of how he approaches things here. When Jesus announces uh, that he is going to Jerusalem, all the other disciples warn him, all right? And they're, they're, they're saying, oh, you can't do that. You might get killed. And Thomas is the one who comes in at that moment and says, well, let's go with him. We, we, we need to go with him to Jerusalem. And then he says, and we'll die with him. Now, some say that it's said more like the Eeyore-ish kind of response, and it's like, okay, we got to go with him, and we'll die with him, you know. But I think it's more of we've got to go with him. We're in we're, we're all in. Like, we've, we've sold out. We're into this thing with him. We are followers. He has handpicked us. He has called us to go with him. We're his support base. We are behind him. We're going to Jerusalem with him. This is what has to be done, and we're in for the long haul. We're going all the way with Jesus. And guys, it may cost our lives. It may require everything of us to do that. And I think that's an honest response. I think that's a very real place for one of us as Christians to be. Hey, I'm going to do this, Jesus. You've chosen me. You've, you've called me out of darkness and into your light. You've saved me from sin and brokenness. You've healed me. You've restored relationships in my life. You've moved me into this place of being a child of the living God as opposed to alien to you and an enemy to you. Therefore, I'm in. I'm with you. And I'm going to stay with you. And I'm going to go all the way with you. Even if it costs my life, I'll do that. And folks, that is the ultimate call of Christ to all of us, that we lay down our lives for him and for the cause 
of the gospel. So I want to I advocate for you that, that even though Thomas is off by himself initially and he may be kind of gloomy, he's realizing, I think, and analyzing where he's at and where things are, and he's coming up with this sense of, I, I need to follow God. Because we find him eight days later or whatever, we find him back in the fellowship. He's, he's come back with the others, all right? So those are not the words of a coward. Uh, I don't think they're the words of, you know, down south we call it a, a fair-weather friend, you know. If the sun's shining, they're happy. If it's raining, they're not happy. Uh, they, you know, the, the, the moods swing with the weather or with the circumstance or the situation or, or whatever. All right, I don't think that this is who we're talking about here, all right? But... Honestly, the words of Thomas throughout the scriptures don't just seem to be overly cheerful. So he's not your positivity guy, you know. He, he, he's not the one that's going to be out there with the mantras and the phrases and the, you know, all the catchphrases and things about being positive and being on the right bus and, and all that kind of stuff. Nothing wrong with all of that, okay, but that isn't going to be Thomas, all right? Another time Jesus tries to explain to the disciples uh, that he was going to the Father, all right, uh, And when he told them, uh, he said that they would know the way. Um, but really, in reality, none of the disciples had any idea what Jesus was talking about at that point. They, they were not renewed to the place, and they were not understanding well enough yet to really grasp what Jesus was saying. Um, and, and nobody spoke up except Thomas. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And I, I just think this is so honest and so real of Thomas to just speak to the Lord directly and say, you just said we are to follow you, and you just said that we would know the way. And I'm going to tell you something, Jesus. We don't even know where you're going. So we don't even know if we can follow you. Like We don't have any answers. We don't have anything in front of us. You're, you haven't given us any information. You're not disclosing anything. You're talking in this kind of language that we, we just want to pull you back down here so you can talk real to us. And how many times have you felt that way with God? You know, I know, Lord, you, you told Abram to get up and go to a place that you will show him. And that took faith. And I understand that. I get it. But, but I don't know where I'm going. Like, I don't know where you're taking me. I don't know where you are wanting me to go. And yet you tell me to follow you. You tell me to lay down everything and take up my cross and follow hard after you. What is this life in the Spirit? And I think it's honest for you and I to be able to say that. I, I personally don't get a lot of help from pastors who say, well, just believe. You know, just believe. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying really hard to believe. But I'm like the centurion who walked up to Jesus, and when he walked up to Jesus, he said, I believe. Help my unbelief. <laughs> you know, it's like we have, we have battles, we have wars, we have these things that are going on inside of us, and they are conflicting with one another all the time, and we have to stay in the right place. And I think that Thomas is being honest and saying, Lord, we need clarity. We, we need some understanding. We believe, but help our unbelief here, all right? Because we don't know where you're going. If you read um, uh, John Bunyan, 
there's a couple of characters in there. One is Mr. Despondency, uh, and the other is Miss Much Afraid. All right, they're like the epitome of Eeyore. All right, you know, so, so we, we have this kind of place where there are a lot of people that, that they're, they're very honest, uh, but they're very gloomy, they're very despairing, and, and they would certainly want to know direction and clarity and all of that kind of stuff, but they're not necessarily people of unbelief. All right? They're people who believe, but unbelief is battling. But they are not people who, who do not believe in God. And here's what I want to say to you and I today is that I think we're a lot like Thomas. We believe. But sometimes God asks of us difficult things or sometimes we find ourselves in difficult circumstances or situations. And sometimes we might be like a Thomas or an Eeyore and because we have a little bit of a gloomy, melancholy position or place at that moment, we might just want to go off and be by ourselves. Maybe you can relate to some of that. I, I do. Maybe your tendency is when things get hard or they seem impossible that you respond in isolation. It's amazing how many times someone in the church suddenly goes MIA. They're missing in action. They, they can't be found. I asked someone, have you seen so-and-so? Have you talked to so-and-so? No, I haven't seen them. It's like they just dropped off the face of the earth. You know, three months later, six months later, they come back. Oh, well, I just, you know, I was just having a rough time and it was just hard. And so I just, I just sort of checked out for a little while. Folks, don't do that. Don't go off by yourself. Don't isolate. We are the body. We're the body of Christ, and we need one another. I understand it. I get it. There are times when I just want to run away. I'll be very transparent with you today. There was a Sunday some time ago, Pastor Dave references it. He really likes it when I'm really honest with him in the office, you know. And it was a Sunday morning, and church was about to start, and I got up out of my seat, and I turned around. You know, my wife's in Tennessee. She's been there for weeks upon weeks upon weeks right now. She still isn't coming back yet. It's all good, folks, all right? Don't worry, all right? Her dad had open-heart surgery, and she went down to be Nurse Barb, which she's not a very good Nurse Barb, okay? And so she's calling all the time, and we're talking about the challenges and the difficulties and the adversities going on, and I don't have my wife here taking care of me, and I have a dog in my house that I don't really have an appreciation for that is doing weird things, and so it just gets to be difficult some days, all right? And there's a part of me that just gets tired, and on this particular occasion, I think I shared with you the transformer went out by my house, and I stayed up all night because they're working, working out right by my bedroom window till 3.30 in the morning, and I can't sleep, and it's a Saturday night, and I'm like, doggone it. And I got up from my desk Sunday morning before service, and I said to David, I'm going to tell you how I feel right now. I just want to go in there and preach this sermon and go home. Well, you got more than that, and you need to thank the Holy Spirit for that. All right, not me, okay? That was the Spirit of the Lord on that day. All right, That's, that spoke. All right, but have you ever felt that way? Just didn't want to get up and come to church? Just didn't want to see the rest of the body? Just didn't feel like getting in there and relating and just wanting to isolate and be alone? 
It's, it's not an uncommon place. It's not an uncommon thing for us. And that's P, uh, uh, that, that is, is Thomas here in, in the midst of all of these other guys like Peter who are like, yeah, let's go. You know, let's, I'm, I'm going to do it. I want to I be there. I'm going to be out front. I'm going to change the world. I'm sure that oftentimes if we could have been there, we would have seen Thomas roll his eyes when Peter stood up and spoke. <laughs> They'd be like, oh, no, here he goes again. No, he's going he's gonna to do it again, and I, it's just going to tire me out. It's just going to exhaust me to listen to this man one more time, you know? But isn't it beautiful how God has put us all together in the body, different temperaments, different personalities, different styles, different preferences, and he says we're all one. We're all together, inclusive, one. And Thomas was a part of this group. And even though he had gone out and isolated himself, obviously, on the first round, they come to him. And they're so excited. And they're like, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas must have been still feeling a bit Eeyore-ish, okay? And he looks at them and he goes, well, I'm going to tell you what, boys. Unless I can put my fingers in the wound of his hand, unless I can put my hand in the wound of his side, I will not believe that. I need to see him. And this is the most beautiful part of Thomas. Because there are moments in your life and my life where the fellowship of the saints and a good sunny day just don't cut it. There are moments in time when you need to touch Jesus. There are moments in your life where nothing else is going to do. Nothing else is going to change your attitude. Nothing else is going to change your belief system. You need to touch Jesus. And I'm not talking about some cheesy, poetic uh, kind of touch. I'm talking about you need to put your hand in the wound. And you need to know that this is the Lord. It needs to be something that erases all shadow of doubt for you. And this is Thomas. And so I think we need to look at it this way. We need to be able to say, okay, Thomas gets a bit of a negative press here, and, and we, we need to help build up his image campaign just a little bit, and we need to remember some things. And so we got to look at it in this context. A man who was as committed as Thomas was to go all the way even unto death, I don't think this is an issue of just doubt here. I don't think this is a place where, where Thomas is just saying, I'm just one who just always doubts everything and, and I, don't, I don't have any answers and I don't have any belief system. No, I, I think not. I, I think when Thomas expressed his doubts to the other disciples, I, I think that they understood exactly what Thomas was saying because they've been there. And here's what I don't want you and I to do. I don't want you and I to create a dynamic in life church where we're all walking around saying how good we are, how wonderful it is, how great the day is, how positive everything is, and yet your life is sucking. Excuse the expression, but let's be honest. There are times and places where life just sucks. And that is where Jesus wants to walk in and say, hey, come do Come to me. I want you to put your hand in the wound of my hand. I want you to put your hand in the wound of my side. I want you to know that I am the Lord. And here's the amazing thing that happens when Jesus does this. It says 
that immediately when Jesus walks through the door, that would have been enough for me right there. I'd have been like, oh my God in heaven above, I am undone, help me, Jesus. You just walked through the door. <laughs> I don't understand. There's, no, there's nothing in the scriptures where anybody acknowledges that they are shocked out of their gourd that he walked through the door. I would have just, that would have done it. I'd have, been, I'd have been off my case right there. Oh, my goodness gracious. No. But he walks through the door. And he's standing there and he says, Thomas, look at me. Look at me. Come here. Put your hand right here. And then somehow I believe if we could have been there to see it, we'd have seen Jesus just take his hand and hold it and then take it. Said Thomas, right here, feel that. Feel that, Thomas. You got to understand, this wasn't that long ago that he rose from the grave. I don't know how much of miraculous healing had happened in Jesus, but, but I'm sure those wounds were close to open and very tender. And Thomas felt it. Thomas felt the wound. And when he felt the wound, nothing could come out of his mouth but my Lord, my God, I know it's you. The resolute, absolute certainty that it is you, Lord, the Son of God, and you are here. You have indeed risen from the dead. You're alive. You're alive, and you're here with me. And I'm sure that all of the implications started to happen in his mind as he's doing all of this, all right? He had, he had to, with honesty and integrity, pose the questions to the other disciples. He had to know. And don't you feel that way sometimes yourself? You, there's, there's moments in life where you just got to know. And there have been places in life where I have been down and I have been battling unbelief, disbelief, doubt, fear, whatever. And it's like God comes in like a flood. It's like Jesus comes in and reveals himself in some peculiar, wonderful, marvelous kind of way. And it's like in that moment, I don't know how to explain it other than to say, I know that I know that I know. There's not a doubt in, I mean, every shred of doubt just goes behind you. And you just move forward in some way. From glory unto glory unto glory, we begin to live in those encounters with Jesus. And that's what you and I need today in the life we're living. We need those moments where we see Jesus and we encounter him in all that he is, all of his splendor, all of his glory, all of his resurrection power. And in that place, there's nothing we can do but declare my Lord and my God. I don't know how much that changed Thomas, you know. I'd like to believe that Eeyore died right there, you know. That, 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 that it was all, all that doubt and all that, that, that melancholiness of this man left him. But I seriously doubt that it did. But here's the thing. It didn't stop him. It didn't stop him. There's a wonderful passage that I love in the scriptures, and I've told many of you, or preached this passage to many of you at different times, and I always like coming back to it. But Paul writes, and he says, here's what I do. This one thing, forgetting what's behind me, I press. I keep moving forward. 
I keep going in. I keep pushing in a little bit further, all right? C.S. Lewis in the Narnia books talks about uh, the battle, and he says there's a point where you have to further in and further up. Further in and further up. And I think the reality is that's glory under glory under glory. You keep moving, and as God keeps revealing himself, you keep growing and maturing, and your faith keeps building. And I believe this is one of those amazing faith moments for Thomas. He's, he, he believed at this moment like he never believed in his life. And don't forget, he is one like the others who dropped everything to follow Jesus. And he has walked with him through, through this time. If you follow out history and you do a little research on Thomas, the reality is that Thomas left the disciples in a, in a small period of time and began to evangelize and began to travel about the country and evangelize. And history would tell us that Thomas actually ended up in India. And if you would go to India today, there is actually a church there called Martoma, all right? Martoma Church and claims to be able to trace the efforts of Thomas through time to get to that place. Thomas brought the gospel to India. That wasn't doubt that drove him to India. That wasn't fear that drove him to India. That wasn't a melancholy spirit that drove him to India. That was the confidence and the assurance that this is my Lord and my God. And I have touched him in that very place that I'll never lose that assurance and that confidence. Now, there's, there's all kinds of other things we could talk about, Thomas, along the way. But here's what I, I want you to understand, is that, that there are going to be situations, there are going to be circumstances in your life that your head is going to tell you that doesn't make sense, that doesn't fit, or that doesn't work. Or maybe even worse, well, God isn't working. I'm going to tell you something. There is never a place where God is not working. There are often places where the God that you have created isn't working for you. But God is always working. God is always there. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God is sovereign over all the affairs of mankind. And God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. You got it. All right? You don't have to worry. You don't have to fret. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to fear. Yet those things will cave in on us based on the circumstances or the timing of the circumstances that we're in. And so it is. It's a, it's a, a, a war of two minds, if you will. And all the time, the Spirit of the Lord is saying, Father up and Father in. Father up and Father in. Keep, keep going. Keep moving. Keep pressing, if you will. And never believe that God is not working for you. But here's, the, here's kind of the, I'm going to wrap it up here, okay, but here's kind of the, the, the closing piece I want to all of this for you today. And that is, is that, that where, where Thomas is having doubts, what is happening is that an opportunity is being created for greater faith. And if you will not cave into the doubt, like if you, will, if you will not go there, if you will not let that doubt scream at you and, and, and drive you and determine your 
your decisions. See, because when Paul said, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I press towards what is in front of me. He says, forgetting what is behind. Now, you and I both know that there are things in your life and my life that we cannot forget. There are traumatic things that are, that are etched into your mind, and you can't forget them. That word forgetting that Paul uses is not a term of it goes out of your mind and you never are able to recall it again. All right, so it's not a word like I forgot where my car keys are and I can't find them and, and you never find them. That word forgetting is like this. The past will never have the power to come upon me and determine the decisions I make for the future. Therefore, I don't live in the past. I look to the hope that is in front of me, and that is Christ the Lord, the prize of that relationship. So what is past is no longer determining how you think and the decisions that you make. And so Thomas has this opportunity to expand his faith based on the doubt and the fear that is assailing him. And this is what I want you to learn, okay, is that when you are battling doubt, when you are battling unbelief, when you are battling fear, all right, you need to understand that, oh, this is an opportunity. This isn't something to take me down. This isn't something to put me in, in a, a spiral of depression. This is actually an opportunity for God to expand my faith. This is an opportunity for God to show himself to me real, for me to touch his wounds and to have my faith increased and expanded. And so you live out of the optimism and the hope that God is about to reveal himself. You look for and expect that to happen in your life. And, and, and in doing that, I think it also points to something that I want to bring out to you as, as we close, and that is this. There is an importance of fellowship when we have doubts. Thomas went off by himself. Everybody else encountered the Lord. Thomas didn't. But they came to Thomas. The fellowship, the community came to Thomas and said, hey, man, we've seen the Lord. He's alive. I don't believe it. I'll only believe it if these things happen. And in the context of them gathering again, it's interesting, it was eight days, Thomas is struggling, he's not believing, he's not sure, he has doubts, he has fears. Where is Jesus? This is his disciple, this is one of the twelve, this is a chosen man that he has chosen, and it's eight days going, and Jesus hasn't appeared to him, he appeared to all the others. But, when Thomas returns into fellowship, Jesus appears. Notice something. He doesn't just appear to the group. He intentionally goes directly to Thomas. And he says, come here and look at me. Put your hand right here in my hand. Now take that hand and put it in my side. It's me, my Lord and my God. In the midst of fellowship was this most sacred encounter of one man and his Lord. And his faith was redeemed and renewed, increased, expanded, and encouraged more than it ever had been. You and I need the fellowship of believers. Don't forsake the assembling together, as some are in the habit of doing. 
You need to be together. Even together, that is where God can meet us. Jesus can meet. Can he meet you alone? Absolutely, and he will. I won't deny that for a moment. But there is something to be said about encountering God in the midst of the fellowship of God's people and being able there to touch God, to touch his wound in his son Jesus Christ and to know confidently that I am a follower of my Lord and my God. Let me bring it home a little bit closer and then we'll be done, all right? You and I are the body. We make up this body together. We belong. The body has need of us. None of us are perfect and we all have baggage. And God will deal with that baggage and God will deal with that hurt and God will deal with that pain and God will deal with that unbelief and God will deal with that fear and God will deal with that rejection and on and on and on and on. But God will deal with it just as he dealt with Thomas. But he will do that in two ways. He will do that by coming to you and allowing you to touch his wound. I propose to you today that there is an even almost equally powerful way for you to be healed. And that is when you touch the wound of another. When you and I can be honest and open and transparent. Believe me, I didn't want to tell you how I felt a few Sundays ago. That's risky to stand up here and tell you that all I wanted to do was preach a sermon and go home. What does that say about me? But is all my trust in me and the image I project, or is my trust really in the Lord and what he is doing? And I would love to tell you how spiritual and how wonderful and how deep and how vibrant and how powerful I am as a, as a man of God. I am like Paul. My righteousness is filthy rags, and I'm a worm when it comes to sinners, chief of all of them. But here's what I know. If I can show you my wound, if I can show you that place where I have been hurt but healed, it allows you to believe for your own healing. When you can touch another in their wound, it will encourage you in your own faith. When you can let another touch your wounded place, God can come into that and bring healing, hope, and restoration. We are all wounded. We're all broken. We're all hurt. But hopefully most of you in the room are healed by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you going to forget those hurts and those wounds? No. But they never have to determine your decision-making or influence it even for the future. And you can be a person who can trust God that the Jesus in you 
will come forth for someone else and say, here, put your hand right here. Put your hand right here. Know that Jesus is alive. And the response can be, my Lord and my God. You and I have an amazing ability, privilege, and honor to be Christ to a broken world. And we do that as we covenant together in our fellowship with one another. The last little piece of that passage that Wade read to you says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. They're not written here, but these things are written for you so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's why the story of Thomas is in here and why it's so powerful. You and I can identify with his honesty. We can identify with his doubt and his fear, but we can also identify with his healing because this story was written for you that you may believe. Now, the interesting thing is that before he ever lays this story out fully, as Wade read to you, it says that Jesus walks in and says, Peace be with you as the Father sent me. I have sent you. Everything that God does for you is in order that he may send you into a broken world, wounded and scarred, that you may say, come here. Put your hand right here. Put your hand right here. I'm going to tell you, he's Lord and God. Amen? Amen. Let's go. Let's go in the name of the Lord. Let's be people who are sent people. Amen. Thomas's story is always interesting because, you know, it points to his doubt, but it pointed that he knew Jesus. He knew that Jesus was Lord and was God, and we see that because we, Thomas knew that Jesus had come. He had been in heaven with his father. He has came, was born, um, grew up as a man, grew up among his family, lived perfectly, began teaching people how to live, um, showed them more and more who, what God was like, the pieces that they hadn't seen. And then he was condemned and he, he died for the sake of others, died so that, that they might have life. And he, Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected. He came back to life so that we when we talk about who are we following, we're following the risen one, the one who conquered sin and death. And so if this is, you know, if this is sort of where you're out at the first point where this is the first time you're hearing Jesus call to you, um, we want to provide you an opportunity to respond to that. The prayer team is going to come up in a minute. Um, and they, they would love to hear what it is God is speaking to you and how they can pray for you. Um, and also, if, if you're here and you're just, like Thomas, just in a moment where you need to know that Jesus is really real, he really is Lord, he really is God, again, come up and, and be prayed for. Or if you have a neighbor, someone around you that you want to pray for you, please do that. Um, we want to be the body to one another. So I'm going to pray. The prayer team's going to come up. Um, you know, if you need prayer, please come. If you don't, you are free to be dismissed quietly. 
Jesus, we thank you that you are the risen one, that you are the one who comes and shows up in the face of all of our anxiety and doubts and fears, that you are the one who makes yourself known so that we can see you, we can know you, we can touch you. So Jesus, we, we ask that you would reveal yourself more and more, that you would show us more understanding and more wisdom as we, as we learn to follow you as your people. And I pray just blessing over everyone as we go this week, that Holy Spirit, that you would draw near to us in each and every day, in each and every moment as we go about what it means to follow you. Pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.